this morning and would turn with me to the book of Genesis chapter 28. The book of Genesis chapter 28. I have a message that's been burning on my heart the last several days. Let's lift these house speakers just a little. Uh, turn the volume, volume up. Praise God. Genesis chapter 28 and verse 11. And he lifted, or he lighted rather, upon a certain place and tarried there all night. Because the sun was set. It's talking about Jacob. And he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and laid down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angel of God ascended and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father, and the God of Isaac, and the land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed, and thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth. Is renewing a promise that was promised to Abraham. And thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest and will bring thee again into this land. For I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to the earth. And Jacob wakened out of his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place. This is none other but the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Jacob rose early in the morning and took a stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it and he called the name of that place Bethel but the name of that city was called Luz at first and Jacob vowed a vow saying if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. Then Jacob went on his journey and came into the land of the people of the east. Let's go to chapter 35, just a few pages over. I want to read one half of a verse here, verse 7. And he built there an altar and called the place El Bethel. And he built there an altar and called the place El Bethel. And I simply want to use as a subject title this morning El Bethel. Bethel, El Bethel. Let's lift up our hands once again and let's pray the Lord God of heaven would anoint us. We need his help. We need his direction. We need his spirit to anoint us here today. Would you pray with me fervently? 
Jesus, we look to you once again. and We're praying, God, for your help and your touch upon this service this morning. I pray, God, that I can in some way convey what you have placed so fervently in my heart. I pray, God, that I could preach with the anointing of the Holy Ghost, and I pray that you would anoint the ears of all of these hearers here this morning to receive it. In Jesus' name, would you love the Lord? Would you give Him praise? Come on, let's love Him. Hallelujah. Oh, let's really love the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you for standing, and you may be seated. For Jacob, Bethel was a place of profound experiences. The first experience occurred when he was forced to flee for his life. After cheating his brother Esau and his father Isaac, and he knew that his brother had him on his hit list. And he also knew that he could not survive a confrontation with Esau, who was a rugged man, the Scripture says, of the field. So after several days of being on the run, hiding out, he came, the Scripture says, to a certain place. It was a God-ordained place. It was a place that he did not recognize at first, as being a place where he would meet God. And isn't that how it is many times? We don't always uh, are able to predict where God is going to be and how God is going to deal with us or even where God is going to deal with us in life. And so it was with Jacob. He came to this certain place to spend the night. And apparently in his haste, leaving home, he had not packed the bedroll. And so he cleared an area and arranged a smooth rock for a pillow, and he lied down for the night. And because of the exhaustion of a long journey, he fell into a deep sleep. It was while in the midst of this sleep that God appeared to him in a dream, and he saw a ladder that reached from the earth unto the heavens. And Jacob's gaze fell upon that ladder, and he saw angels the scripture says ascending and descending upon the ladder it would seem that when you would see a vision of this sort you would see angels descending and then ascending but notice what the bible says that they were ascending and then descending from that ladder and jacob's eyes was fixed at the top of that ladder of a divine being that was there and uh, God began to speak to him. And he said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac, and I will be with you wherever you go, and will keep you and bring you back to this place again. I will give you this land, or this land to you and to your descendants, and they will spread out from here in all directions. And be a blessing to all the families of the earth. I think it's significant to point out that when God blesses a person, when God blesses an individual, it's not just for them personally. It's not just for their own advancement in the kingdom of God or for them to be selfish with. But I notice throughout the Word of God, anytime a blessing comes to a person 
an individual, a people, or a church. It is so that it can be a blessing to others. I think that's important to keep in mind. And all of his life, this young man, Jacob, had heard about these kinds of encounters with God from his grandfather, the great patriarch of faith, Abraham, and also from his own father, Isaac. He had heard of their encounters with God. He had heard their testimonies of what the Lord had done for them. But this seems to be the first documented place in the Word of God that there's a real encounter between Jacob and God. This seems to be the first place that you can point out in Scripture where Jacob personally had an experience with God. In fact, his life was so heavily influenced by this encounter that he could not deny the reality of God. Maybe perhaps when he heard the stories of his grandfather, he had heard the stories told by Isaac, his father, maybe he wondered in his mind, is God, is He real? Is He someone that I will serve throughout my life? Will I continue the succession of generations before me in living for God? Will I carry the same commitment and consecration that my grandfather and father carried? But now, having this important encounter with the Lord, all doubts have been eradicated. They've been removed. And at this point, it was no longer just the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac. But now He was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He had an encounter with God. I want to stop here long enough to say that it's vital for every one of us personally to have our own individual experience with the Lord. Amen. I think it's important on this Sunday that we're focusing on the next generation that I stand up and make myself clear that you cannot live on your grandparents' experience. You cannot live on your father or mother's experience. Thank God for praying parents and grandparents thank God for the burden that they've carried that has brought you to this point but at some point in your life at some place along the way it has to become personal with you it cannot be the God of your grandparents the God of your father and mother but it has to be the God of your grandparents parents and the God of you personally It has to become the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob, you can't live just on the experience of Abraham. As good as God was and as much as God did for Abraham and as much as he experienced and saw and envisioned in God, that's wonderful, but you've got to have your own experience. As good as God was to Isaac and his generation and all the miracles and the testimonies that he possessed, I think it's important that you realize, Jacob, that if this is to carry on, if you are also to be a patriarch and if you are to be a great nation and if you are to see the promises of God fulfilled in your generation, you've got to have a personal relationship with the Lord yourself. Oh yeah, it doesn't matter how vivid 
God is to your parents or grandparents. He's got to become real to you. It doesn't matter how colorful the stories have been told of their encounters with God. You've got to have your own encounter with the Lord. When Jacob arose the next morning, I want you to notice something. This was still with him. He could not escape it. This was an experience that was not short-lived. This was not something that he just got excited about for a few moments. This was not something that while he was in the moment was the only time that he appreciated or respected it. But uh, when he awoke the next morning, it was still lingering. It was still heavy upon his heart. He took the stones that he had uh, laid his head on the night before and he erected a pillar and he poured oil on it. He, he sanctified that place and he said, from now on I know that this was a place that was called lust. It was just a common place. But now this is going to be known as the house of God. Amen. Because this is where God met me. This is where God dealt with me. And there's something special about this particular place. I'm going to tell you, we ought to have a respect for the place where God meets us and where God deals with us. I kind of have a problem with people that can come into the house of God with any kind of attitude. They can come into the house of God and treat it any old way. This is not a place for you to chomp your gum and to write your notes, amen, and twiddle your thumbs, amen, and spread your gossip. This is the house of God. This is a special place. This is a place to be honored. I said this is a place to be honored. Amen. This is a house of prayer, the Scripture says. Amen. I don't want to make it anything else. I don't want as generations before us to make it a den of thieves. I don't want to make it anything else but what God has intended it to be. And that is a house of prayer where people can come and have an encounter with God and experience the touch of the Holy Ghost. Oh, the presence of God should be pervasive in this place. Every time we come to this house, there ought to be anointing here. There ought to be worship resounding from God's people. There ought to be prayers being made in these altars. This ought to be a place where people can touch God for themselves. If you believe that, why don't you clap your hands and let's worship the Lord together. It was in his thoughts it was upon his mind. He was living in the afterglow of what God had done. I'm going to tell you, when you have a real experience with God, it leaves you changed. It leaves you different. When you have a real experience with God, you don't get away from it or escape it quickly. Amen. I'm leery of folks that can weep crocodile tears in an altar on Sunday, and by Tuesday, they're back to their old lifestyle, their old habits, their old way of living. I'm skeptical of those that can dance and shout and run the aisles on Sunday night, but during the week, you find that they really don't have the victory that they proclaimed on Sunday. We have far too many bipolar Christians at Pentecost. We need to be delivered from spiritual schizophrenia. Amen. We need some folks that know who they are and what they are and live for God and are genuine and are real down to the tips of their toes. That's what we need in this world. Jacob arose the next morning. 
dream was still with him. Amen. Will your experience last more than just today? Will your encounter with God last you more than just one service or one, one time when you feel uh, Holy Ghost chills or goosebumps and you, you get excited? Will your experience do more for you than just bring excitement? Will it bring change into your life? He looked around at this barren campsite and uh, expecting to see something maybe supernatural about this place. But he could not see anything but a rocky, arid desert climate there. All he could see was the environment that, that he had met the night before. It was just cactus and tumbleweeds and rugged stones. And then he makes this statement that we all quote. He said, surely the Lord was in this place, and I knew it not. He seems to be saying something like this. I never dreamed that I would find God in such a place like this. I never dreamed that, that I would have an encounter with the Lord in this place that would be so awesome and wonderful and different from anything that I had ever experienced up until now. And so he calls this place. He changes its name. He calls it the house of God. He calls it Bethel, which means the house of God. Amen. He said, this is going to be a better place than it's ever been before. Amen. I like folks uh, that don't just come to church to see what they can get out of it, but they want to make it a better place when they leave it. Uh, they don't want to leave it drained. Uh, they don't want to just take from it. Uh, they're not just here to absorb all they can and go out. Uh, but when they leave this place, uh, they also leave that place changed. Uh, amen. He said, I'm going to make this a better place. Uh, I'm going to call this a better name. It was called Luz before, but I'm going to call it Bethel from here on. I'm telling you, when we come into God's house, there should be remnants of our consecration and our commitment, amen, and our dedication unto God that is left on these altars. Amen. When people walk into this place, they'll say, you know what? There's sacrifice that's been made here. There's folks that's worshipped here. There's people that's been praying here. There's people people that have a heart for God in this house. There's people that have a desire for God and are consumed with it in this house. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. And he said, my desire is, is that the Lord would bring me back to this place. I, I'm, I'm going to make some commitments and he made some consecrations unto the Lord that are similar to the consecrations that his grandfather had made when God made a covenant with him and changed his name from Abram to Abraham. And so he made some commitments. This is what I'll do. This is what I'll be. This is what I commit to if you'll help me, God. And there's nothing wrong with that. When you come to an altar this morning, you ought to, you ought to say, God, I'm going to make some commitments. These are some areas that I'm going to alter in my life. 
these are some things that I'm going to change about myself. If you'll help me and if if you'll be with me, that's what Jacob said, if you'll be with me, God, and if you'll protect me and if you'll give me the opportunity, not only am I going to live life differently from here on, I'm going to be a changed man, a changed individual, but I'm asking that you bring me back to this place. I don't want this to be just a one-time encounter. I don't want to come and just uh, get a little bit and then go on and and not ever be changed or be different. Uh, Amen. I think that's good preaching for Pentecost today, don't you? Amen. When we come to the house of God, we need something that changes the way that we are. I don't know why I'm stuck on that here this morning, but I feel like I am preaching to somebody in this place. Uh, You need something to radically alter your life. Uh, You need something to leave you different to leave you changed. You know what will change this city and community and bring revival is when the people I'm preaching to here this morning get a real change in your life. When you start making consecrations, God said, I'm going to bless you so you can be a blessing to somebody else if you'll make some commitments unto God. He said, I desire to come back, but right now, I'll just be honest, God, it's not a good time. Esau's nipping on my heels. I can't stay here. He'll catch up with me. And so, I'm going to leave, but I, I'm going to come back. I can't stay, but I'll make this promise to you. I'm going to come back. All he needed right now was a little distance and time from Esau and to get beyond Esau's reach. So, Eventually, he finds protection, and I'll hurry through the story at Laban's house. And it was there that, you know, he worked for several years, and God began to bless him. It was here that he married Leah and his beloved Rachel. It was here that God began to bless his flocks and his sheep. And we understand that he began to outstrip his uncle Laban to the point that Laban got suspicious of him. And so he packs up his family, and he goes and leaves the house, and Laban is very angry about this, and uh, the truth is, is that Jacob barely escapes with his life, and he decides at this point, you know, I better get back to, I better place where God visited me. I better get back, you know what, I'm not living like I need to. I've kind of slipped back into my old carnal ways, I've been deceiving Laban again, just like I deceived early on in my life and just like I was such a supplanter early on in my life, it seems like I'm, I'm getting back in the same old routines and habits that I used to. i, I got to get back to Bethel. And uh, he, he's making his journey and, and he, he said, I'm, I'm going to get back there. I'm, I'm going to make my journey back to the house of God. But suddenly he hears that Esau's closing in on him again. And fearfully, Jacob sends many generous gifts over across the brook Jabbok. He sends them over uh, ahead of him along with his wives. Uh, uh, Sounds like a real masculine man, doesn't it? And he hides back on this side of the brook, and he's trying to soften the heart of his brother. 
And uh, it is there at a place called Penuel that God begins to deal with him while he's all alone. And he wrestles with an angel of the Lord. Amen. I believe it was God in the theophany body. That's how I feel about it. And he's wrestling with this, this man, this angel. Amen. And in the midst of the night, in this wrestling match that's going on, Jacob's determined once again, there's something got to be changed in me. There's got to be a difference, man. I can't keep living like this. I can't keep falling back into this old routine. I can't keep going back to this same old lifestyle. Something's got to change. Something's got to be different. Maybe I'm preaching to somebody in this house this morning that feels the same way. God, you've got to help me. I can't be the same person. I can't afford to go back to that same life. I can't afford to be the same cold, calloused, indifferent Christian that I've been for years. Your coming is too close. You're too near to coming for your church. For me, just to be relegated to a boring Christian life. Something's got to change in me. Something's got to be different. Hold on, I understand this is a visitation from the Lord. But this time, notice, he's not happy just with a visitation. Most of us would have said an angel from God. We would have been happy just to see it, just just to know that he was there. But Jacob said, that's not enough this time. It's got to go deeper than that. i got to go further than that. And that's what God's calling somebody to in this place this morning. You've got to go further than you've ever called before. Your commitment must be deeper than it's ever been here to fall. He said, I'm going to hold on. I ain't letting this chance get by. No, you're not just going to slip through my fingers this time. I'm not just going to get up and dust myself off and say, man, I thank God for a visitation, an angelic visitation. I thank God that he, that he still loves me and he still cares. He said, no, something's got to happen in me. And it seems like this is understood by God because at the breaking of the day, the angel said, let me go. And he said, no, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. And that was more than just superficial blessings that he's talking about. It's more than just monetary blessings that he's talking about. He's saying, I've got to have something that changes me. I've got to have something that makes me different. Amen. I, I remember an encounter that I had with God at a place called Bethel. But you understand that I let time and distance and, 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 and all of the the getting caught up in materialism in the world to get a hold of me and I got down there at Laban's house and I got more interested in my flocks than I was about my God and so I need I need a renewal you understand I need I need to get in contact with God again my God I feel the Holy Ghost in this house so he says you may be seated he says I'm not going to let you go I'm in this for the long haul. And notice what the angel does. He said, what is your name? I've always looked at that and, and thought, man, he, he knew what his name was. This is Jacob. I mean, this is one of the patriarchs. This is, this is the grandson of Abraham. What is your name? No, he was wanting him to admit what he was. I'm Jacob, which meant supplanter, deceiver, trickster, con artist. That's who I am. That's what I've been all of my life. And he said, because of this encounter, you're not going to be 
that any longer. But your name's going to be called Israel, a prince having power with God. I want you to notice something here, though. You would think that would be the end of it. You would think, uh, you know, he would never be called Jacob again in the Scripture. You would understand that, that uh, you know, our comprehension, we would think that he had never slipped back into that. Uh, being or even thinking of himself as Jacob but you notice several times in the scripture when his faith got weak and he 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 was thinking along the lines of carnality the scripture makes this statement and Jacob's heart fainted and he believed them not it makes statements like like uh, Jacob he did not believe them when they told him that Joseph was alive but in the same setting of scripture when he saw those wagons coming with evidence that Joseph was in fact a lie. It says this and Israel said it is enough. One verse of scripture there's a change there. He went from being Jacob. You see it's easy to slip back into what you was before. It's easy to go back into that same lifestyle. If you let carnality get a hold of you. You let unbelief get a hold of you. You let what you used to used to be. Used to used to live like. You let that old lifestyle come creeping back you'll you'll end up being Jacob again but thank God that he never gave up on Jacob he said no you're Israel and you're always going to be Israel amen and I'm going to do whatever it takes to bring revival to that Israel spirit Oh, I come to preach to somebody. You don't need to go back to being Jacob. God says you're Israel. I said God says you're blessed. God says you've been changed. God says you could be different. God said there's more for you. God says there's hope. I come to preach to somebody. God never intended for you to go back to being Jacob. He wants for you to be Israel. Oh, come on, let's love the Lord for a moment. It's like all of us. It's like us all. Jacob starts being Jacob again. You may be seated. God does, does soften the heart of Esau. And he's reconciled with his brother. Things change and the pressure's off. The problem's gone. And you would think he would continue on his journey to Bethel. But the scripture says he didn't follow through on his commitment. It appears that he went to a little area that was called Shechem. It was in the promised land. It was close, 20 miles away. He had been 500 miles away. Now he's 20 miles away. He's closer. But that's not where God wanted him to be. And that's not where God really intended for him to be. And that's not even where he promised that he would come back to. Man, well, at least I, I'm not what I was. I mean, I still got a semblance of what I was. Least, you know, I mean, it's close. And 
Shechem looks like a good place he can enjoy his hard-earned wealth. In fact, it looks like he's settling in there because he built an altar there. God said, you don't build altars in Shechem. You build altars in the house of God. You don't worship in the world. You worship in the presence of the Lord. You, you, you can't commit yourself to Shechem. And things are going good, and it looks like he's getting by. And suddenly, one of the chief's sons takes a liking to his daughter, Dinah. Notices her beauty, and he wants her for his wife. And he's taking advantage of her. And the sons of Jacob, Simeon, and Levi grow so angry so hostile. They understand the long-term implications of intermarrying with the heathens. They know this is what God has never intended for them to do, but they take it upon themselves and they get in the flesh and they devise a plan to free her from the sons of Shechem. And so they require them all to take the covenant that the Jews have taken while they're recovering in their tents they fall upon them and slaughter them and they loot their businesses and they ransack their houses and they steal from them their belongings and when Jacob hears of this fear grips his heart why did you do that we're going to be a stench in the nostrils of all that are in this land and not only the Hivites but all of our enemies in this area they're going to gang up against us and they're going to slay us. But it's here that God places a little persecution to push him towards where he really needs to be. You know, sometimes we, we don't understand problems, but problems sometimes bring us to a place of dedication and consecration to the Lord. And so... Don't always curse your problems and say that this is of the devil. It may be that God allows it because the devil can't do anything that God doesn't allow anyway because the Scripture says the powers that be are of God. Amen. All power is ordained of God and the powers that be are of God. In other words, the devil ha or the Lord has the devil on a short leash and, and, and he can even use him to prod us along. Amen. So we can get to where we really need to be in God in our relationship with him. Praise the Lord. And so this problem breaks out in his life because Jacob obviously has not been praying at the right altar. Jacob has obviously not been consecrated as he needs to be or he didn't know he needs to be 20 more miles down the road from where he is. And so suddenly an old feeling that has been suppressed now for some time starts creeping back up in his heart. He realizes that I'm not where I need to be in God. I can't afford to live here and, and, and exist here in shame. I've got to go, amen, back to the house of God. I've got to follow through on my promises. I've got to make up my mind, whatever it takes. I cannot be deterred this time. I've got to make my journey to the house of the Lord. I've got to get back to Bethel. And shocking to him, if all of this that has transpired was not bad enough, he discovers that his beloved Rachel has taken some of the idols from her father Laban 
which means that she has more trust in them than she does in Jehovah God. And it stirs his heart so much. He wonders how in the world could we have drifted so far. And he demands, he said, you've got to purify yourself of these idols. You've got to get rid of them. I want you to bury them under that tree there. Get rid of them. Put them out of your life. And he demanded that they all change their garments, purifying themselves. What this is is a type of repentance. He said, if we're going to be restored in our relationship with God, if we're going to get back to where we was, if we're going to make that journey and that trip, and if we're going to make it to Bethel, we're going to have to come with pure hearts. We're going to have to purify ourselves. We're going to have to be big enough to repent. I know this is, we're, 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 we're part of the lineage. We're part of the pedigree. we got the blessings of God supposedly on our lives. It doesn't matter. we got to get on our knees, Rachel. we got to get earnest before God. We've got to repent. Get rid of these idols. Get rid of these little gods. Bury them. Get rid of them. We can't take them with us because there's only one God that's got a rule in our life. There's only one God that can be put on the throne of our lives. Every compulsion, every everything that would hinder every appetite of the world, all of those things have got to be put away. They've got to be overridden. All of those desires have to be put away. And when Jacob arrived at Bethel, the Scripture says that he immediately built an altar unto the Lord. What how long it's been since you built an altar and said, God, here's all of me. I've gotten rid of my little gods. I've gotten rid of all of those other things that could distract. And this is all of me. This is the altar that I should have built a long time ago. But I don't know why. I don't know why it took so long, but God, I'm building an altar here, not just a memorial. I'm not just pouring oil on rocks this time. I'm building a real altar. And I'm consecrating myself. And I'm giving my all to you. Oh, God, help us. Help us, oh, Lord. And I want you to notice what he called this altar. He called it El Bethel. He went a step further, meaning the God of the house. Before it was Bethel, the house of God. But now it is El Bethel, the God of the house. Now his awe was not only with the place, but he had fell in love with the God of that place. What draws us back to Bethel? Is it buildings? Is it activities? Is it plans and programs? Is it blessings? Is it personalities? Is it our love for someone in the church? Is it the good singing and worship? Is it because it's our heritage? Because that's where we are supposed to be. Is that what draws us? I'm going to tell you, any one of those things can, can draw you to Bethel. But none of those things can keep you. None of those things can keep you living for God. None of those things can keep you a part of the church. 
None of those things can keep you coming back to Bethel. Those things can draw you here, but they can't keep you here. You've got to fall in love with the God of the house. Some people love Bethel. They're in love with the church, the subculture that has been created in Pentecost. All of the, you know, all of the connects, all of the friendships, all of the relationships. That's about the only reason they hang around. It's not because they really believe. It's not because they really have a consecration. It's not because they really love God. It's just, you know, this is a lifestyle that we've learned to live. But if you're going to sustain in longevity a real relationship with God, and more importantly, if you're going to pass it down to the next generation, it has to be more than just the house of God. You've got to fall in love with the God of the house. Somebody needs to build an altar this morning. Somebody needs to build an altar that's more than just a memorial that you can say, hey, kids, this is where we go to church, and, and we're a part of Landmark, and we love the assembly, of get, the gathering of God's people. We love to come to church. We love the worship. Man, don't they sing good. We, we like our pastor and all of those things. It's got to get more than just that. It's got to get more than all of that. You've got, you got to get to that place of El Bethel where you're in love with the God of the house. And when you fall in love with the God of the house, little offenses won't offend you anymore. Little things that go on won't bother you as much as they used to. When you get in love with the God of the house, you don't have your eyes on everybody else. you got your eyes on Him when you come to His house. When you come to this place, you're not looking around to be impressed by somebody. You're not looking to be entertained. But God, you fell in love with Him. He's got a hold of your heart. He dictates your very move. You're consecrated unto God. Would you stand with me right now? Would you reach out to the Lord and let's pray together? Come on, the anointing of the Holy Ghost is here. The touch of God is in this place. That's my deepest concern about the younger generation. Oh, we've been successful in getting a love for the house of God. We've been successful in getting a love for conferences and camps and programs, youth events. We've done well. We can stir up an interest for that. And there's nothing wrong with that. That can draw you, but that'll never keep you. Because you're looking at a minister that grew up in Pentecost too. And there's a lot of boys that I went to camp with that are not living for God today. There's a lot of young ladies that I was in the youth group with. They're not serving the Lord at this present time. Because somewhere it never made the transfer from being the house of God to I'm in love with the God of the house they never developed that they never they never took the time to build that altar amen oh they knew how to dress knew how to wear their tie just right they knew the suits that were in style the clothes that were appealing 
They knew the talk. They knew the language. They never got a hold of a love for truth, a love for God, a love for righteous living. The God of the house, it never became El Bello. Some altars need to be built. Maybe there's Jacob here. You know you're really supposed to be living up to what God says you are. You know that God never intended you to stay Jacob. But he made you to be an Israel. He made you to be a leader. He made you to be one that would stand, one that would be influential. Do you realize just how influential those patriarchs were and still are throughout the pages of the Word of God? You realize the impact that they made upon people historically? But you can't do that being Jacob. Sometime you've got to rise up to your potential. You've got to quit wallowing in your past defeats. You've got to quit whining about your past. and You've got to realize I've got I to rise up to what God has called me to be. Israel, that's who I am. Is there somebody that would like to pray this morning? Is there some altars that could be built in this place? Come on, it takes time often to build an altar. A sacrifice that occurs on an altar. It's more than just a passing thing to build an altar. If you build it in the right place, you're going to have to take effort for the details. You're going to have to let God speak to you there. You're going to have to let change evolve in your life. Come on, is there somebody that will proclaim this place, El Bethel? Not just the house of God, but the God of the house I've had an encounter with. I've had a real experience. A life-changing, altering experience. Oh, come on, let's take some time here today. Let's don't get in a big hurry. Let's let the Lord move upon us. Let's let the Lord really deal with us this morning. Altars need to be constructed. Come on, I understand you know how to shout, and I understand you know how to dance, and we'll do more of that. Maybe tonight. But do you know how to build altars? Do you know how to build altars? Does this generation know how to build altars? Come on now. Do you know how to let God help you to build and construct a real consecration to Him? Do you know how to kneel? Do you know how to pray? Do you know how to get 
earnest with God? Or you just grit your teeth and hope and wait until the altar service is over? That this is just another part of the sanctimony of coming to church. This is just another occasion. I can't wait until it's over with where I can fellowship and be with my friends. You don't have an understanding. Oh, you know what the house of God is, but you don't have an understanding of the God of the house. It's got to get beyond that. How long has it been since you made some real commitments to God? How long has it been since you allowed yourself to become really consecrated and given to the Lord? When you're given to the Lord, you're not so quick to give yourself to much anything else. When you're given to the Lord, you can't give yourself to the world. When you're given to the Lord, you, you don't give yourself to promiscuous lifestyles. When you're given to the Lord, you don't give yourself to the influences out, outside these doors. When you're really given to the Lord, when you're consecrated, when you're sold out, come on, is there somebody that will construct an altar? Is there somebody to help me build a place of consecration here this morning? As a church, God wants to, wants to bless us so that we can be a blessing. He wants to anoint us so that we can share that anointing with our world. But first, we've got to build an altar. If we're to see the promises of God fulfilled, this is part of it, Jacob. You've got to live up to your potential. You've got to become an Israel. You've got to let God use you got to become dedicated to him oh let's pray let's reach out to god let's seek the face of the lord draw me close to you never let me go oh god Nothing else oh takes the place. Thank you, Jesus. Oh God. To feel the warmth of your It's time for change. You are my desire. Oh God. No I gotta be drawn close to you. Let him draw you this morning. Let him draw you. Let him help you. Nothing else could take place. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Feel the warmth of your God, I've drifted. Got distracted. Should have came Tell back a long time ago to this altar. I should have been here a long time ago letting you speak to me. Letting you work in my life. But God, here I am today. If you'll help me. I want a relationship with the God of the house. I'm not interested in just perception. I'm not interested in just the look. But God, I want reality today. I don't want just a virtual relationship with you. I don't want just to appear like I do to the masses. But God, get a hold of me. Let me be real. Let me be real. 
Let me be genuine. Let me be right. Let me be right. Let me be right. Oh, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let me be right. Oh, God. To hear you say that I'm your friend. You are my desire. No one else will do. There's nothing else can take your place. To feel the warmth of your embrace. Help me find my way. Bring me back to you. You're all I want. You're all I ever needed. You're all I want. Help me know you. Oh, 
help me know you are near. Oh, you're all I want. Oh, Lord, you're all I've ever needed. You're all I want. Help me know you. that what he said? If you'll help me, I will leave this place. talk to your children about it. You need to exhibit an example here. You can't do that in a big hurry. You can't do that always concerned and being a watch watcher. Sometimes you got to get through a lot of self to get to that place. You got to eliminate a lot of distractions to get there. But I'm going to tell you that's where God's going to do what he really wants to do in our lives is when we can tap in in that dimension. Praise the Lord. Amen, amen. Would you once again thank the Lord for His presence here this morning? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, let's love the Lord. Open up and praise Him. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You're so good to us, God. You're so good to us, God.
Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, Lamb of God, you're worthy. You're worthy to be praised. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise God. Let's remember all that will be taking place here this evening. We're going to uh, be honoring our graduates, and we appreciate them again. I thank God for uh, Brother Hunter, Kanika, Mary, and uh, Lord blessing them. And so we want to come and show our honor to them tonight. And uh, I believe the Lord's going to do great things in this house. Praise the Lord. Uh, the youth will be having part in the service this evening.